You're listening to The Turing Podcast, a production of the Alan Turing Institute, the UK's National Institute for Data Science and Artificial Intelligence. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Turing Podcast. This is another remote edition being recorded in the midst of coronavirus lockdown. Uh, and I'm your host, Ed Calstry, Junior Research Data Scientist at the Alan Turing Institute. Today, I'm joined by B. Costa Gomez, who is a PhD student at the University of Manchester in the Faculty of Biology, Medicine and Health, who recently completed her Turing Enrichment Scheme placement. Hi, B. How's it going? Hello. Uh, everything is fine. Just uh, enjoying the Relatively social distancing. Speaking. Yeah, exactly. I like how you specified yeah. coronavirus lockdown in case there's another lockdown and this one is a very specific one. <laughs> uh, well, I hope not. That would not be that would, that would not be <laughs> ideal. But I should say for our listeners, we're recording on the 21st of April. So if the world has plunged into chaos further since then. Um, yes, if there's zombies around at this point, <laughs> yeah. it's only coronavirus still. So that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> So it's a relatively easy lockdown by comparison to what we've got coming. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so future selves. Um, I'm sorry, I jinxed it. Now we are. We'll see. Hopefully I didn't. <laughs> Mind you, in some ways this is worse because if you've seen the film Shaun of the Dead. I was um, thinking they... about that film exactly. <laughs> I have at least they get zero to go to vinyls. I, I don't have any vinyls to throw um, in case zombies come and attack me. So I don't know what I'll do. No. Well, yeah, I was going to say at least they get to go to the pub, uh, which we can't do at the moment. No. So in I, a I sense, don't... coronavirus is um, is worse than a zombie apocalypse. There's really. no Winchester for anyone. That's no it. No Winchester. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay. B. I'm going to ask you a few questions about um, your PhD work in neurodegenerative disease. Um, perhaps before I start, um, do you want to just give... Uh, a brief summary of, of what, you, what you've been working on and specifically the kind of uh, area of research that you worked on at the Turing Institute. Yeah, so I um, my PhD has completely derailed from its original plan, but the idea is that I'm studying neurodegenerative diseases, um, but particularly I, am, uh, I built a software that analyzes cell culture, um, sorry, uh, images of neurons in cell culture, which means that I have isolated neurons, which are brain cells, and they, uh, with some cer- with certain genetic changes, they actually have the these symptoms that appear um, in a range of them and uh, a range of diseases. And I'm interested in studying these. And so I built a software, which is the Advanced Labeling, Fitting, Recognition, and Enhancement of Data, or Alfred, whatever you prefer to call it. And That's a nice the- acronym. Thank you. It's Alfred for, you know, Batman's butler, so that you're Batman when you use the software. Um, I have a lot of free time. Uh, I don't anymore, but I used to. Uh, so, is, so is Alfred, there any significance to uh, that choice? To Alfred? Yeah. Uh, can, can you imagine my senior supervisor saying, how's Alfred? Is he okay? And it's a software. I just, I just enjoy it. I do it for that. Just always me. <laughs> fair it's enough, just fair fun. Enough. And the icon is actually a little butler. A friend of mine did a, an 8-bit um, butler for me. So it's just just fun. Um, all of my laptops have also names of, of superheroes. So that's 
that's fun. <laughs> nice, nice. But basically, Alfred, you load the images. It does all of the pre-processing that you need um, and looks at things like curvature and other like shape characteristics of the, of the cells because the diseases, the, the particular symptom that we're interested in, and this is going to be helpful for everyone hearing us because even if I had images, I couldn't show, right? But the, the cells, the neurons are, if you look at your arm and you can imagine that your hand is the cell body and then you have like the, 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 the arm is the axon, uh, which is actually the, the whole of the length of these cells, uh, imagine your arm. And they need to keep this structure for the entire lifetime. So they have something inside called a cytoskeleton, which just means skeleton of the cell. And the the backbone of the skeleton um, um, is called uh, it's these polymers called microtubules. And microtubules normally look like uh, just a bundle of dry spaghetti. So imagine dry spaghetti all over your the the length of your arm. And this diseases sometimes. Um, you look at the at, at the axon and you see a swelling. You see like this bump. And when you look inside the swelling, instead of seeing the bundles of dry spaghetti, you actually see what it looks like a, a bowl of cooked spaghetti, which is very different. And you have these loops and turns. So we want to actually quantify, um, the find a way of quantitatively compare these things. And because it has loops... That's why the curvature is in, in interesting for us and all of these shape characteristics that Alfred analyzes. And then my So just place... to back up for a second, yeah. um, it's what kind of neurodegenerative diseases are there that make the uh, the the neurons which normally like spaghetti change yeah. into this different shape? So um, it's diseases mostly for, for um, peripheral neurons. So... Motor neuron disease and Charcot-Marie tooth is another one that has it. Um, so these are not very specific, but it, it's it's a a, a common uh, symptom in in diseased cells and aging as well. This also happens in normal aging of neurons. So sometimes mm-hmm. they just they just has that. We don't exactly understand why that happens, and that's where we come in um, to study this. Um, okay. So it well, leads me yeah. perfectly onto the next question, which is that image recognition is a hot topic in AI research, generally yeah. speaking. How does your research make a, uh, make use of advances in this field? So that's why I actually went to the Turing for my enrichment scheme, because back in Manchester, here, where I am now, um, my supervisors, as I said, my PhD completely derailed from what it was supposed to be. So my supervisors are a biologist and a mathematician. And I realized that it would have been, it would be all the, all of this research that I was doing was based on the assumption that we made that it was, the curvature was relevant to analyze these, these images. So I thought maybe I can actually apply some machine learning because I did some of it during my master's and I thought I can do that. So I actually applied for the enrichment scheme to have a collaboration potentially with someone from the Turing. And that's why I met uh, Dr. Ian Stiles from Birmingham and I collaborated with him. And so image recognition is a very hot topic and there's loads of it. And what what I, I use two types of things in this in, in my project. So I use um, se- cell segmentation um, 
which is rec the it's basically a subset of of image recognition where it looks at a cell because cell cultures usually are a black background with colorful things on top and and this is a semantic um classification generally of of cell not cell or cell one cell two and then not cell um that's the first part that i use with on, on my so project is, it, is this a a commonly used kind of um, image recognition algorithm for um distinguishing between biological samples or cells uh, yeah, it, 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 segmentation is something that happens very, very um, um, in all sorts of applications because these are um, that's the first step to analyze biological data. You need to actually tell what is the in interesting part in the f whole image because you're going to have usually a lot of noise in the image that is not relevant. Okay, so in your case, the the interesting parts in the images. When you're looking at images, I guess, of diseased neurons and non-diseased neurons is something to do with the curvature of, of the axons. Um, so was that something that was that was known that's been known for a long time or is it something that's come about from the analysis of these images um, in your own research or in previous people's research? It, it came out um, from the research in my group, actually, um, from from the biological perspective of it they've noticed that there were that, that there were these swellings and they came up with a theory to explain it's called the local axon homeostasis which is just a theory of how the proteins in the the axon actually make the disease um so the curvature is just it's because it's very it's a very obvious thing when you look at the images because um just think about dry spaghetti and cooked spaghetti and how conformational differences are and if you have and you don't have basically almost any curvature in dry spaghetti right it's very stiff rod uh, and with cooked spaghetti you have all of this so that's why curvature jumped to the eye because it's a very obvious um, consequence of this disease and remind me again which way around it is with it whether it's the cooked spaghetti that's, that's the cooked uh, spaghetti is the disease yeah that we do not right, want okay. cooked spaghetti <laughs> Okay, so we so normally all of our neurons are these long straight. Well, they have these long straight parts which are called the axons. In these neurodegenerative diseases, they have becomes well, spaghettified, like cooked spaghetti. Yeah, it's and like a swelling. So it's not all of it, but you just have like a, a swelling in the middle. Oh. Um, sometimes, sometimes more than one. Um, just. Just like imagine there's a, a a lot of it going well, and then it goes wrong, and then it goes well again, and we just don't understand. But these, but there's very obvious consequences for this because um, so neurons communicate by um, by electrical signals between each other, right? And and the electrical signal goes all along the axon. Um, so this is from physics. What's going to happen if you have a bump in the middle? It, it's going to delay. The, the reaction and it's gonna um i see you see do you see what it means like if you have the the swelling in the middle then it goes bump 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 slow down and then that is so this is you're kind of thinking that when yeah when it's interrupting the path of um signals that would yeah. be our movement or our thought processes i have a good the, i have a good analogy for it so just imagine a, a literal electric cable and it has a knot in the middle but inside 
the inside the rubber. So you have the the rubber is fine, and then you look at it, and it's like a swelling in the middle, and all of the electrical cables inside, all of the copper cables are tangled in the middle. Right. So that's what it looks like. Okay. Well, um, so it sounds like the the differences, especially from those images, are fairly clear. But how good is your software that you've developed? Uh, Alfred, how good is Alfred at categorizing those neurons between the diseased and non-diseased? So between disease and non-disease, that's good. And the classify the classifying um, um, algorithms as well, because also what I've done, the second part of my enrichment at the Turing was actually using a classifying algorithm, um, machine learning algorithm to 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 just a neural network to classify disease, non-disease. That those are relatively easy to categorize they are longer the non-diseased are longer and are thinner and the curvature doesn't change much so the curvature along the axon is quite uh, similar however what we're interested in is comparing sorry it's comparing between diseased neurons so the point of the question of my project actually i should have mentioned this before is that these diseases that have this symptom are very different diseases so generally, you have um, a disease. Um, uh, all what sometimes happens is that you have a symptom that shows up because you are altering the pathway uh, of proteins, but they're all in the same line. It's like you have a factory and you just interrupt one of them and uh, one of the one of the workers, and then everything the, the end product is different. What happens here is that you have the disease when you alter different um, non-communicating lines of production. So it was supposed to be two different, completely different things. So you, you, the, the, the ones that I study a lot are regarding proteins that help the, to, um, the, help the guidance of the growing microtubules when they're, when they're growing. So help the spaghetti being parallel and also proteins that that walk along the, the 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 skeleton that transport things inside the cell. So as you can see, they're very different things that interact with the skeleton, but give the same supposedly the same result. So what we want to know, and the big question of my PhD is, are these symptoms the same? Is it is it the the the, the cooked spaghetti that we see? Is it the same in the both diseases, or is it just similar? Because if it's the same, then we can say with more certainty that is probably because of the, of the microtubules themselves. But if it's different between them, then maybe it's something else that is happening that is perturbed by both of them and, and reacts differently to each. So the interesting thing is that I need, that's why the machine learning came in, which is can, are the images, um, um, distinguishable between diseases by a machine and are they distinguishable by non-machine which is what alfred does okay so i guess the question really is yeah are because we know that the the result of different diseases is a similar structure in terms of the neurons the sim ends up in a similar shape um but is there enough difference in that shape to distinguish between the diseases from the point of view of these machine learning algorithms um, that kind of, well, I guess so I can ask you, well, how, how well did it do? How, <laughs> Terribly. <able> to... <laughs> <laughs> um, I did a, 
Uh, I, I I tried a but, bunch of them. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, this actually um, the the question I was going to ask next, which I think this is a good time to ask it, is: Do we now think that the different neurodegenerative diseases are causing the neurons to be spaghetti uh, all the other way around? Um, because I guess if it was the other way around, um, we could figure out how to unspaghetti the neurons. That would potentially cure all of these diseases in one go. Um, that would be so nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it said, but it's what you were saying to do. So, you th- do you think now it is to do with the microtubules themselves? Um, that is the un- ongoing discussion that I've been having with my supervisor for the past um, three and a half years. Because we, at some point, I'm extremely. The more I look at the images, the more confused I get. Uh, I just I just see these images everywhere now. I sleep, I dream about them, and now I'm writing my thesis. <laughs> so you can imagine how exciting um, it is. Uh, but the truth is that we still don't know. I still need to do a lot of analysis, but it's still a big question mark. Uh, but the truth is that a product came out of the PhD. So I have like the software that everyone can use to get the parameters out of their images. I usually in conferences... I presented a lot in biology conferences and I get asked, does it only open neuron uh, images of neurons? And I say, no, you can open any image that you want. You can check whether Cheerios are actually all the same uh, curvature that they promise that they are on your, so just take a picture <laughs> of your breakfast and show it. Uh, but it's, it's just, um, the question is still there and we're still investigating and there's still experimental uh, ex- biological exper- experiments being developed not anymore because the lab is closed but the 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 there's i have a postdoc in the group um dr andre volsman and he basically is a magician in biology and amazing and he comes up with all of these experiments and does all of the experimental part um and comes mm-hmm. up with the images and ideas for us to test cool well i i guess um would you be confident at this stage at saying the no. out? <laughs> um, hang on, you haven't heard what I'm going to say. <laughs> the, the algorithms you have used and that form part of your software, um, so they haven't distinguished differences in the way that the different neurons from different dege- degenerative diseases or the differences in their curvature is, is. So, do you think that that's really because uh, there is little, very little difference, and it's the different diseases are causing the same thing to happen to the neurons, or or do you think that there might be more subtle differences that your algorithms are yet to pick out? Um, so the only thing that we get from Alfred is um, curvature and straightness um, ratios and and and. Um, distributions. So what we need to do is actually go through all of the images and then at the end compare them. Uh, One of the main ideas is that we're going to use this as well. The algorithms that I've developed with Alfred are actually just pure uh, maths retrieving the values from the images. So there's no machine learning in them. The point that we want to use is that we, I am am training an algorithm to distinguish um, I'm I'm currently training a ResNet um, neural network uh, to to distinguish them the diseases. If it works, it's 
some days it works, some days it doesn't. There's a, a very disturbed. It has its own personality at this point. But I, it's, I don't it's, understand. It's got its much. own. It's sort of it's got its own neurodegenerative. Disease. Oh yeah. Oh, definitely. The the <laughs> this this algorithm needs therapy at least to see if it decides. <laughs> because if it decides to not work, that would be one thing. But some days it gives me a forty percent accuracy, and other days a seventy percent accuracy, and then I just get a question mark on my face. Um, but the point is that the idea is that also after using Alfred, instead of comparing both, I can actually join them together because Alfred gets extra information about these images. So maybe I can feed that extra information. I can feed the curvature distribution and the straightness distribution and the length distribution of, of my neurons into, into the, into the classifying algorithm. And maybe that could be also helpful to distinguish between diseases. But what would be the uh, ultimate goal then? If if you you're able to come up with a piece of software that can distinguish between these diseases, um, how would that help uh, in the you know combating these diseases in the long run? How would um, that knowledge help? So the way that would help because we would understand what's going wrong. Because currently we don't know. Um, we are. That we we are working with very basic biology, so this is a disease that has very obvious outside symptoms in in people. But the truth is that we are looking at really 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 detailed things that we still don't understand. So the idea of these pipelines, air quotes, you can't see the air quotes, but I did it. Um, the the idea of these pipelines is that you start by understanding the basic concepts of what's happening. And then if you understand the, phys- the, the, the way it wor- it's supposed to work, then you can notice when it's not working well and, and you can do something about it. Because uh, these are genetic diseases. So it's not a disease that you can... Um, that not, it's not, some of them are genetic, so it's not something that you can prevent. But maybe if we, we understand why it goes wrong, it can be preventable in, for example, aging um and 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 things like that so it's a it's a small step very small step but hopefully it can it can make a change uh, every little helps isn't it this is how science progresses you've got to go one step at a time (laughs) and because i made a tool it also means that people doing other types of research can actually look at it because everything um can be can be studied in terms of curvature like for example i've had people ask me for my software to analyze blood cells because sometimes in some diseases, instead of having a very round um, red blood cell, you actually have like something that is a completely different shape. So the, the curvature dis- distribution of the, those two shapes would be very different, uh, theoretically. And and so you could use that. You could use it to study uh, movement patterns um, because they are also the the way the movement of, for example, larvae is recorded is that they 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 have um, the center mass, just imagine the center mass of, 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 of a point moving around. And when it's diseased, it doesn't move as much. So you could do a curvature pattern of that, for example. So these are very different. Um, when you say larva, what do you mean? Uh, like, mean? like, like, oh, sorry, like fly larva. Like, <laughs> like there are a lot of diseases that are actually studied uh, into like those little, that slimy, tiny things. 
Well, I was going to ask you about that, actually. Um, I, I remember when I attended a talk you gave about this research previously, you mentioned about the Drosophila flies. Um, yeah. How, how, how do uh, researchers in general use them for studying uh, you know, neurodegenerative diseases? And, and how, if at all, did this factor into your research? Okay. Uh, I'll start with the second part. How does it factor into my research? Because I have a, a, a sentence that I enjoy saying very much which is how, how my work is parallel to what my group does, because they smash the brains of the bugs to get the cells out, and I smash my brain cells to get the bugs out. So that's that's the, the essence of what we do. Um, so as I said, I work with very basic, uh, we work with very basic biology, and there's a lot of conserved mechanisms. Um, I'm, I'm sorry if anyone is listening that doesn't believe in evolution, sorry, this is, this is the wrong podcast. Uh, but there's a lot of conserved mechanisms between flies and and um, and humans, actually. Um, be, so when you're we saying that I'm the same as a fly. I'm basically that that is a hundred percent exactly what I said. Not even the conserved <laughs> mechanism, but that's exactly you're a fly, basically. <laughs> um, well, I I for one am offended, but please continue. I was going to say I'm sorry to offend you guys. Um, <laughs> So, so I actually was reading about this because I'm. I, I wrote. I, I was writing like the structure of my introduction, where I need to go through all of this. So, so there's actually. I think it's seventy five. Your your PhD thesis. thesis yeah. Is it right? Yeah. Right. So much fun. You can. I, I'm just enjoying. It's a thrill. This this lockdown writing thesis. Um, hey, you've got lots of time to. Uh, I know. With it. I know. <laughs> Help me. <laughs> okay. So there's about. Actually, I think it's 75% of, of diseases, that, human diseases that have a homolog gene. In Homolog means that it's the same gene, but in the fly. Uh, for, for, for basically what this means is that we have our, a very complex um, a system, of course. Um, and then what happens is that some of our diseases happen because there's a slight change in a gene in the middle of your big uh, DNA, and there's um, an an analogue of that on a fly. And if you can find the analogue of that on a fly, then you can study the changes that that causes in such a small system. So it's this, imagine, uh, for you computer scientists, imagine that you have a a massive database and you have a small algorithm that you want to test, you're not going to test on the entire database. You're going to take a sample of the database and you're going to test it. So what we do is that there's a massive complex system, which is the humans, and we can actually sample this on the fly on this particular, very particular basic mechanism. So we just do it on the fly because uh, as you can imagine, people are not too keen if we go around smashing brains of, you know, humans. They, they're, they're not very well, happy with that. You never know. I mean, if in I a few months, as we predicted... As I said, um, if a zombie, zombie apocalypse, apocalypse shows yeah. up, maybe we can study those brains and just go and exactly. smashing brain. That's not the, as effective. Uh, but you just go... And also, um, it's much <laughs> cheaper. Another... This is the Drosophila marketing. It's very cheap to keep flies compared to other model organisms. Um, they are very easy to genetically manipulate. Um, you can literally have a new generation uh, in three weeks. 
which is something you can't with humans. If you need to do some genetic manipulation, manipulation is not it as quick. Takes a little bit longer. Yeah, sci-fi makes it seem so much quicker, but it's not. No, just think of <laughs> it wouldn't work that way. Um, and it, and even if you could genetically manipulate uh, a human, it would take nine months for the human to be born. Uh, when you can get so many generations of flies in that time. Um, so again, well, I can imagine as well that um, using them for this purpose as well, as you were saying earlier, it's you're studying genes that obviously have a deep evolutionary origin. And that kind of makes sense that even though a fly's brain is much smaller and less complex than a human brain, if we're talking about the kind of things which are going to break down um in the case of neurodegenerative disease, like in you know inhibiting the proper functioning of axons or you know the how however messages get transmitted between neurons, I, I'm not an expert on this stuff, but obviously the that's also going to be the, the sort of thing that could break down in, in a fly as well because yeah um, if you're talking about yeah just things like movement which are controlled by um or yeah anything that's controlled by yeah. the brain I guess yeah. Um, no, there's there's always the the ones that we study have very obvious uh, results in the fly, um, and some of these diseases actually you only get um, embryo stage, so the flies don't even develop anymore because it's such a severe thing on their neurons that they don't survive more than um, a tiny bean. That's what they look like on the microscope. Right. This came, This is what we were talking about earlier, the larva. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. And then the larva is... Um, there's a lot of studies with larva, yes. there's, uh, For example, there's... Um, uh, this is a cool one. In my lab, um, there was someone doing epilepsy studies with larva, where there's this... Uh, basically, what you can do is that you shock the larva, and then you see how long it takes for it to start moving again. Um, again... If you were to do that to a human, maybe you wouldn't get the ethics approval that you would need to just go around and shocking people and then just time how long it takes them to to recover. Uh, but that's one of the things that you can study. So basically, these larvae had the genetic disease, and we were like, okay, one of the symptoms is seizures. So we are going to zap the thing and and see how it goes. And, and I'm 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 doing gestures, but they are actually microscopic and you need to everything that you do, you need to do through a microscope. Uh, which is sort of like playing a video game. I've learned that playing video games gives you great microscopy skills when you need to dissect stuff. That's uh, good because, to yes, that was the one thing because I did some experimental biology. That was the one thing that I was not terrible, which was uh ha- due to years of video gaming. Um, just, just, <laughs> See, just so you know, the kids. only real world application of being good with a video game controller would be being a drone pilot or something like that. But, <laughs> but also, <laughs> also microscopy. There you go. Microscopy. Some of it, not all of it. It's very complex. I'm just talking about very basic lava. I'm just talking. Yeah, just that. Um, on the other hand, if you have coffee, just think about this. Just oh, this is a good thing. For, 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 for everyone to have a mental picture of how small these things are. If you have coffee, you're, you're, you're going to have a slight shake on your hand, which is not noticeable for the entire of your day. But it's extremely noticeable when you're trying to pinch a larva or to pinch something. So when I did I these experiments, I couldn't have any coffee 
because just one coffee, the, the, the little amount, and I have a lot of caffeine per day, so technically it shouldn't affect me. Uh, but just the slight hint was, was so shaky that I would just smash and accidentally okay. kill too many so of them. So you've got to be great at video games, but not a coffee drinker, if you want to be good on a microscope, is what you're saying. Or, or just tell everyone to not talk to you until you have the first coffee and be really upset the entire time that you're doing the experiment, which is what, what was happening. <laughs> People would say good morning, and I was like, not today, and, and just walk past. Uh, and there's a reason why I'm not allowed in a lab anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that fly torturing note, um, <laughs> let, me, let me let me try and ask a a conclusional question. Conclusional is that word? Let me ask a concluding question. Um, where do you see the uh, the research field of neurodegenerative disease going in the next few years? Is there going to be huge uh uh leaps and bounds made in in how we think about um curing these diseases or is it still quite early days uh yeah this is more of a philosophical question at this point so there's so little certainties in this field so little like there was for example there was things that we thought there were basic about Alzheimer's, which is the disease that is extensively researched. It's a hot topic in neurodegenerative diseases. There was things that we were given as something that was very important for the disease. And then it turns out it might not be that much, uh, uh, might not have the weight that we thought that it it did. So the truth is that these are such complex things that there's very, it's very difficult to actually see where it's going but for example a few years ago something very exciting came out which helped a lot which was for example technology is amazing there was the development of a protocol that allows you to have uh, brain structures in a dish so you know how how you can grow skin uh, grafts in in, in a dish uh, from stem cells that was a big thing that, that, that came out. Yeah, so there's a protocol to actually build uh, these brain-like structures in uh, a dish, so a 3D model of, of that, which is really cool and a massive technological advance. And before people say, but is that a mini-brain? Does it think? No, that's why I'm saying brain-like structures in a dish. Uh, but it sounds like you might be giving the flies a break, at least, potentially. <laughs> well, they are being... They're having a break currently because there's no experiments going uh, as of That's today yeah. because of the, the thing. Lucky them. Um, but the flies are going to continue to be... Because really, they are a very, very powerful um, tool. Uh, because if we can understand the basic mechanisms in the simple model, then we can extrapolate and try to understand the more complex. And as I said, it's just a very... A, a really powerful and, and very exploitable um, tool. And also, very easy to get, like, people don't care if you kill a thousand flies, but you go around and kill a thousand humans and suddenly you're a, gene, a you know, a homicidal maniac, so that is, no, I guess a thousand, you're a genocidal <laughs> maniac, but you get the point. Yeah. Uh, this I, is I a good conclusion, point, yeah. isn't it? No, Just no, like really cares about flies. <laughs> Those poor flies. I'm going to start a fly advocacy uh, rights organization now. <laughs> 
<laughs> you're just gonna go invertebrate and lives matter too <laughs> they do exactly yeah well uh on on that note again fly killing um <laughs> let me uh let me thank you for joining uh or coming onto the podcast b it's been great having you oh thank um, you for having me no problem um and it's been it's been really interesting look at your uh, research into neurodegenerative disease um best of luck with your um your write-up of your your thesis um have you got how what percentage of the way through are you oh god that is not something that you ask okay, a phd sorry, student uh... <laughs> uh, th- th- that is in the writing up stage this is i will i will now end this and go cry in the corner this is what oh. you do to me uh <laughs> no in all seriousness if people I... are interested be yeah what were you gonna say i was just gonna say that in all honesty it, it is being written so that's already a positive thing so we'll see how it yes. goes that's good to hear and um, where can people uh contact you online are you on twitter or do you have a website or anything yes i do i have to? i have one nickname that is on all social media which is moonian and that is m double o n i e a n that took me a second sorry um, but that's I'm I have a GitHub page and I have Twitter and I have Instagram and I do um, occasionally stand up comedy. And that's why I am also quite present online because I'm trying to uh-huh. convince people that I'm funny. But this is a very difficult task. And if I remember rightly, it's is it science related comedy? Yes, I actually will be doing science communication competition this Friday. That's gonna right. be wonderful. I, I would, I would get you to plug it, but this episode will probably be no, it's not gonna. But on so. the other hand, <laughs> I do have um, videos about science-related comedy on YouTube uh, that people can access from my Twitter. Um, I also have Perfect. some not so safe for work comedy skits, but those I can't plug here. But. <laughs> Well, we'll leave our listeners to uh, discover those on their own, in their own time. <laughs> it's just All like, right. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much for coming on Podcast B. Uh, thank you. To learn more about the work going on at the Alan Turing Institute, visit our website at turing.ac.uk. To get in touch with the podcast team, if you have any questions or suggestions, email us at podcast at turing.ac.uk. Music for this episode was provided by Jamin Sun. You can listen to his latest releases at jaminsun.bandcamp.com. The Turing Podcast is hosted by Ed Calstry, Tarek Allen, Ben Walden, Effie Dennis, and produced by Dan Whitfield for the Alan Turing Institute. <laughs>